This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It is a scourge that is claiming thousands of lives all across Canada and around the world. I'm talking about the opioid crisis, of course. Tens of thousands of people who began taking these drugs for pain or for an injury have found themselves addicted. And the numbers of people who die of overdoses is still climbing. Now, Patients are hoping to take on the drug makers in a $1.1 billion lawsuit about their role in this opioid crisis. Now, the proposed class action accuses almost two dozen drug companies of enriching themselves at the expense of vulnerable patients. It alleges that the companies illegally and deceptively promoted highly addictive opioids despite knowing the risks. Now, important to note that this comes after a $270 million settlement in the first of a wave of similar lawsuits in the United States. And it's between Purdue Pharma and the state of Oklahoma. And this one was set to go to trial very soon, May 28th. And it would have been the first of, get this, two thousand lawsuits. Now, I know this is a difficult topic. I really would like to hear from you if you've been affected either for yourself or perhaps a loved one who's run into trouble with these drugs. Uh, we have to talk about these things. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And we begin with Adam Tanell, who is a lawyer with Koski-Minsky, and he is one of the lawyers on this proposed class action. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, and thanks for talking about this important issue. Okay, so uh, what made you decide to go ahead with this? Well, it's something we've been looking into for quite some time. Obviously, this epidemic uh, has been decades in the making, and uh, we say in the making because it's our position that uh, this crisis was very much a manufactured crisis. Um, and the evidence has, has simply been mounting um, to the point that uh, we're willing to put our time and our money on the line to take on these manufacturers. And uh, you have uh, you have one, uh, what is that called, the, the lead client? The representative plaintiff. Okay, tell me about him. Okay, well, it's Dr. Daryl Gebbian, and he's truly an inspiring uh, person. He was prescribed Percocets for a minor physical injury, as was so often the case across this province and across the country. Uh, And as a result of that prescription for a minor injury, he developed a serious addiction uh, that for a time cost him his medical license. Uh, He ended up in jail, uh, ended up in all kinds of professional and personal crises. Um, Fortunately, he battled through his addiction, uh, and has now turned the tide and is now an inspirational speaker uh, and an advocate on behalf of victims' rights 
Mm-hmm. And the allegation is, now, just to let people know, often when it comes to drugs or newer drugs, the doctors proceed on the information that they get from the drug maker, which is the result of trials uh, and other uh things like that. And uh, basically, the allegation is that the drug makers knew that this was really addictive. They knew that this is not something that is at all suitable for any kind of prolonged use. And they pushed it that way anyway. Is, is that correct? That's right. That's the allegation. And it even goes further than that. Um, one of the tipping points for us to commence this lawsuit was a 2018 study in the Journal of the American Medical Association that showed that for many chronic conditions, opioids were no more effective than non-steroidal anti-inflammatories at treating the conditions. So they weren't actually providing any benefit and were coming with enormous risks that unfortunately have manifested and caused thousands of Canadians' lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what are the steps now? The the lawsuit has to be certified, correct? That's right. So we're right now in a fact-finding stage. Um, as a result of people like yourself who are willing to give this issue the attention that we think it deserves, uh, we're being contacted by people across the country uh, who have themselves been affected by the crisis, either with their own addiction or with family members' addiction uh, and or death uh, to this epidemic. Uh, so we're speaking with all of those people, finding out their stories, um, which we will eventually present to the court. We only have the one representative plaintiff right now, um, but this is, is a case that is generating uh, more interest um, on behalf of class members than any action I've ever seen. Um, so that's the stage that we're at right now. Uh, the next stage is then acquiring the expert medical evidence that we require to prove our case in court and then going to court to get the action certified as a class action. And when would that happen? What's the kind of timeline for that? Likely 2020, uh, but unfortunately, it's not entirely up to us. Um, I know that the Ontario court system will do everything in its power to assist in this crisis, uh, but it's all too usual uh, for defendants to attempt to delay these matters as much as they possibly can. Well, I know that BC has launched a similar lawsuit, the government of British Columbia. Are, Are there any other Canadian lawsuits in the works? Well, it's my understanding that some of the other provinces may join the B.C. lawsuit. And just to be clear, the B.C. lawsuit is not on behalf of the actual victims. It's on behalf of the health agencies who have shouldered the enormous um, monetary cost of treating addiction and of having 20 people show up in emergency rooms every day in this country uh, due to opioid overdoses. Uh, There was also an action uh, that only named Purdue with respect to OxyContin uh, that is currently before the courts. Okay. And how much of this uh, is bolstered by the fact that you already have one very large settlement in the United States and there are so many of these lawsuits there? Or is that not relevant? It's It's certainly not unusual that that's the case. I think as all Canadians are aware, um, there is a lot more litigation uh, in the United States than there is up here in Canada, and for that reason, sometimes the class action bar there uh, moves a little bit more quickly. Uh, but to our knowledge, there isn't uh, an action anywhere uh, that names all of the manufacturers or all of the major manufacturers and seeks to hold them all to account 
for a manufactured crisis. Mm-hmm. And which manufacturer is it, Purdue, the lead one that did the research? Uh, no, they all researched the different drugs that they manufactured and promoted. Um, so Purdue is most notorious for OxyContin, um, but there are other manufacturers um, for Hydromorph, for Percocets, for Vicodin. Um, these, these drugs have been around for, for a couple decades now uh, and have reaped an enormous toll. Okay. Uh, before I get to the phones, I, I want to share something personal. I, I consider myself very lucky to have escaped this. As many of our listeners know, uh, 10 years ago, almost 11, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer with uh, pancreatic pancreatitis complication. I was in a vast amount of pain. I'm very lucky to be alive. And for a period of several months, I was on opioids, and I don't believe there was really anything else for that. And uh, the pain was not controlled, and there were there it was oxycontin and oxycodone and all of this. And I was very fortunate. I had a great doctor who just tapered me off of them uh, over I don't know, like maybe ten days when I didn't need them anymore. And I remember. I don't know if I filled a prescription before I went off of them, but I looked down and they filled a shoebox and it was stunning. And so basically I consider myself lucky not to have had this problem. So uh, I can certainly see how other people, I mean, it is just, it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, some of the more recent, recent medical evidence is suggesting that people can become chemically addicted in five days. Um, so you, you, we're we're thankful um, that 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 wasn't your experience um, because it has been for all too many people, um, and some of them who were prescribed opioids um, not for a serious condition like you were dealing with and battling with, but for for something relatively minor like chronic lower back pain, um, where the the supposed cure was infinitely worse. Uh, than the disease. Okay, uh, let's, uh, Adam, while you're still with us, let's take a call from Kathy and Markham. Hi, Kathy. Hi there. You're on the air. Go ahead. Um, I do have a family member who passed away with an accidental overdose. He's one of the so people, sorry. I guess, on the list from Toronto. Um, it's very devastating. Um, to our knowledge, he wasn't a usual addict per se, I guess he was to some degree, but um, the problem, he, he didn't know what he was taking. Obviously, he went to do something else, and sure, he should not have been doing that, but I, I don't understand why the police just turn their head and in some situations. Why, when he was found, um, he died in the apartment where he made the purchase, why weren't those people charged? Why aren't they in jail? Was it? Did, did he purchase opioids? What? What? Uh, no, he actually purchased um, a, another drug where that the fentanyl was in it, inside of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, of course, not to his knowledge. And no, he shouldn't have been buying any drugs. We all understand that, but um, he did. And um, after the coroner did the report, it it. He wouldn't even have had a chance, apparently, if the paramedic was standing there right beside him. He died so quickly. There was no chance. He was found the next day because the person he was with moved him. And um, we, we found he was found and he was taken to the hospital. He was already deceased, but nobody was charged. Nobody at all. 
I'm I'm very sorry for your loss, Kathy. I I certainly can't answer your questions, and I think the fentanyl, uh, Adam Tanella, fentanyl in the uh, in in the opioids, uh, that's a big problem. It, it absolutely is. And, and Kathy, let me just echo that sentiment that I'm so sorry Thank for you. what your family has gone through. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wish I had answers as to why some manufacturers decided to put these kinds of products on the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, you know, people that are making the choice to buy a street drug, and they they really think they're invincible because they don't, I guess it's out there more now that the fentanyl is it's being cut into it. Um, I actually met a person that was outside of a rehab center, a detox center, waiting to go in, and he had been revived because apparently he had smoked marijuana and bought it off of somebody he wasn't normally wherever you buy it, and it had there was traces of it in there as well, which made him go unconscious, and uh, not to his knowledge. So. The epidemic is very real. It's hitting everyday families, not just addicts. Yeah, we know that. We know that. It's horrible. And and so it's the police. You know, there should be something done. Sometimes the police have a different attitude when they're dealing with it. We came that experience ourselves. Well, you shouldn't have been buying dope. Uh, Well, we know that. But, you know... um, it just feels wrong all the way around. And, you know, he had one daughter, and she suffers daily. She's an adult, and um, it's a great loss. He was loved, I, no matter what mistake he made, and he didn't deserve to, to lose his life over it. Kathy, we, uh, again, thank you for sharing your story. We appreciate it. And, um, mm. and uh, you're right. This thing is causing a lot of pain. Uh, we appreciate your call. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to bring in Mike Merriman from Toronto Paramedic Services, and I want to give you some numbers as we bring him in. So Toronto paramedics have seen nearly twice as many people die of suspected opioid overdoses in the first four months of 2019 than in the same period last year, and that's according to preliminary data by Toronto Public Health. In total, paramedics reported 68 deaths from suspected opioid overdoses from January to May this year, up from 35 in the same period last year. And across the country, there were nearly 10,500 opioid-related deaths between January 2016 and September 2018. Let's bring in Mike Merriman. Hi, Mike. Hi, Libby. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. So what are you experiencing on the street? Uh, first of all, I'd just like to uh, express my sincere condolences to the previous caller, too, to uh, Kathy there for a loss. Um, basically, just like you said, uh, Libby, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, we're getting a lot of reports, especially from our downtown station crews down in the core, that those members are doing at least, are actually responding, or they're responding to at least three opioid opioid overdose overdose calls uh, every day. So that's like a dramatic increase to what we had seen in 2018. Do you have any explanation? I mean, we, it seems to me, uh, we're learning more and more about this. We're hearing more and more about this. So why are the numbers going up? Um, that I can't really say. Um, I, I, 
obviously there's, I, I mean, let's face it, I don't believe anybody chooses to be an addict. It's for whatever circumstances in their life. I think there's obviously a lot of underlying mental health issues from a lot of these patients. We see that from a lot of these patients we deal with, childhood abuse, whatever, or in some cases, basically they were prescribed or maybe over-prescribed uh, prescription narcotics and Unfortunately, they get hooked on them. Um, again, nobody chooses to be an addict. It could be that uh, there's just not as many, there's not as much access to mental health treatment or facilities out there. But I don't know. All I know is it's definitely on the rise uh, for the paramedics for the amount of calls we're servicing as a result. Adam, before we let you go, do you have any comment about the increase in the numbers and how it will affect your proposed lawsuit? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not entirely unexpected from the research that we've been doing that this is a problem that was going to snowball um, as a result just of the number of prescriptions that were being handed out. Uh, and as Mike touched on, a lot of people getting a prescription for a narcotic uh, and then spiraling into an addiction, that, as he's absolutely correct, they did not choose. Um, these These people are the victims uh, of a horrific, horrific situation. Yeah, if I, but, if but I can our... add to that, sorry, if I can add to that, out my own, my own wife who uh, experienced some severe back pain, um, non-traumatic or anything, she just experienced some severe back pain for whatever reason, walks into a walk-in clinic, a walk-in clinic, which they always have signs up that they we are not allowed to dispense narcotics, walks out with 100 Percocet. What? Um, yes. Walks out with a hundred Percocet in hand. Anything, in just but, a minute, in hand or a prescription or what? Well, a prescription. They don't actually give you the Percocet there, but walks out with a prescription for a hundred Percocet right. from some okay. doctor who doesn't even know her. It's the first time she'd seen her. I mean, even she was like, "This is ridiculous." Well, because my understanding. Sorry if I'm jumping in here, and I, I want to take Warner. I know you're waiting on the line. I'm about to take your call. Uh, my understanding is that it's more restricted, and I, even back when I was taking it, there there was more of a restriction on on an opioid prescription, and that was over ten years ago. Uh, I mean, it had to be, I don't know, walked into the pharmacy or something. Uh, I don't remember, but it, it really varies. Um GP to GP or, or physician to physician. That's why we're not blaming the medical community uh, for this crisis in our lawsuit. Um, these people were misled as well. I mean, you're, we're seeing, we're, we're hearing stories like the story of Mike's wife over and over again from people calling in, um, telling us they had a minor issue uh, and were prescribed a drug. And, and 100 perks is more than enough to develop <laughs> chemical addiction. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you, more than yeah. enough to shoot you into space. Yeah. Um, so it, it's happening over, over and over again. There are doctors uh, that have... Um, been disciplined by the CPSO, a GP is prescribing fentanyl uh, for chronic back pain. This was a crisis that simply wasn't understood by the medical community because they were being told that there was a new wonder drug that was going to help their mm-hmm. clients no longer feel pain. Well, exactly, but that was then. I think it's been a few years since people started to realize the problem. No? Doctors. There, there, there is certainly greater awareness now. Um, but but we're not we're not at a point where I think uh, where I think everyone is safe. When uh, when my wife um, broke her leg, unfortunately, while she was pregnant, she oh, was no. prescribed opioids, and, and fortunately, you know, did her own research and realized she had no interest 
and taking opioids uh, while pregnant with her child. But it, it, and that was two years ago. Wow. Um, let's take a call from Warner and Tilsonburg. Hi, Warner. Hi, Lippy. I am on Tiva Oxycosid 5 mil slash 325 mil tap. And I'm taking one the first thing in the morning and one later in the afternoon to get me by. Uh, am I in trouble? You know, Warner, I am not a doctor and I can't answer you that. Um, uh, Mike, do you have advice for Warner? No, I missed part. I missed the dosage there. Okay. Uh, Oxycosid 5 mil yeah. slash 325 mil tap. And underneath it says Oxycodone HCI Estaminophen 5 okay. mil. Okay. Okay. Now this has been prescribed by your doctor? Yes. I'm a little rusty on my pharmacology, but that sounds doesn't sound like an inappropriate dosage from what I recall. But again, I think as what's been discussed on this show, you have to be very aware that they are very, very addictive. That's uh-huh. the bottom line. And if you can get by without taking them, I wouldn't take them. That's um, my advice. You know, uh, in general, it's always a good idea to review your your prescriptions. Have you been on them for a long time? I've been on them for over a year. Well, That's maybe <laughs> maybe you need to revisit whether you still need them and if there's anything else. Because uh, as we heard earlier from uh, lawyer Adam Tanell, there's been research that they're no more effective than other things. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner, I wish you the best of luck, but as I said, uh, you know, none of us here um, are uh, are uh, expert enough to give you... You can't touch it. Yeah, I, except to tell you maybe you want to revisit it and have another look. Okay, I have I have been... I've, I'm aware that this becomes addictive, and I have spoken to my doctor, and I said, uh, there's a lot of other things out there. How about uh, marijuana? So the doctor said, is this working for you? I said, so far, it's helping me pretty good. Just don't change it. Um, you know, I, I can't comment on that, but there are a lot of people who use marijuana for pain, CBD, the uh, one of the ingredients. Um, again, uh, <laughs> it's like I don't have a medical expertise. Yeah. But we appreciate your call, and I can see the difficulties of what happens, you know, when you're prescribed. Yeah, uh, well, it, it frightens me that uh, the doctor says that, and uh, the doctor says, take them when you got pain. It, you won't be addictive. Don't listen to people. Mm, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, so, thanks, Warner, for your call, and really good luck with that. Uh, we appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, um, Mike Merriman, um, you know, where do we go from here? And, and what does this mean for paramedics? You're spending a lot of your time. I'm sure a lot of it is also very traumatic work. No, absolutely. Um, I don't know where we go from here as far as the crisis goes. Maybe I'm not an expert in that area, but all I can say is it's uh, definitely taking its toll on paramedics, on the system. 
increased amount of calls. We can't, we can barely handle the calls, the medical calls we have uh, without an opioid crisis. So um, I think all three governments need to get together and uh, try to get ahead of the curve and come up with a game plan. And they basically are going to have to, in the interim, we're going to have to put some funding behind the paramedics because we are, we're approximately 300 paramedics short in Toronto right now. Statistically, that's from our divisions, from the management of our division, their own budget submissions, 300 paramedics short. And our call volume goes up 4% a year, every year, basically. And this is, these stats actually predate the opioid crisis. So it's probably only going to get worse. I mean, I don't have any, obviously have any easy answers on how to solve the problem itself. But from our end, uh, from my role, we, we, we're definitely going to need we're definitely going to need more paramedics out there just to handle it. Okay. Um, and before we totally wrap things up, I'm going to take one more call from Dave in Hamilton. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Uh, hi, Dave. You're <laughs> hi, Dave. Dave. I'm Libby. Gentlemen. I was prescribed uh, fentanyl in 2005 when peripheral neuropathy started uh, in, set in. And as people may know or may not know, it's a progressive degenerative situation, oxymoron right there. Now, I find I am still prescribed it, and I find after the 48 hours it is prescribed for 72, the pain, the tingling, the shooting pains uh, start again. So there's nothing that can be given for this situation. So what will I do if the fentanyl is cut off? And I do not have an addictive personality and I really feel that people who are dealing on the street, doing the drug scene there, have given fentanyl a dirty name. And now car fentanyl is being cut, which is 100 times stronger than fentanyl. So, gentlemen, what would your answer be to what I have said, please? Well, I, I think, the Dave, uh, if yes. I may, because uh, yeah. we're starting to run out of time, okay. I think nobody's talking about banning it, uh, and it is certainly necessary for some things, and including mm-hmm. what I had, which is cancer pain, but, yes. but the problem is that it's used for all kinds of other things, and uh, people have become addicted. I'm going to let you go and okay. let the guys uh, respond very quickly, because uh, we soon have to move on. Uh, do either of you, Adam or Mike, have a response to him? Yeah, Libby, you hit the nail on the the head as far as we're concerned, that this is not a lawsuit about taking fentanyl away from people who absolutely need it. Uh, this is about... Uh, a system that allowed these drugs and promoted these drugs being prescribed for conditions for which they were not necessary and not even helpful. That's not all conditions. We are not suggesting uh, that all drugs are bad for all conditions all the time. Uh, We're simply suggesting that uh, someone who has chronic back pain or a sprained wrist uh, and is prescribed fentanyl or Percocets, and that has life-changing implications for them, that that's inappropriate. Okay, well... Uh, I would agree, Adam. Thank you, Thanks, Adam. Mike. Thank you, Adam Tunnell, and uh, please keep us posted on the developments with your lawsuit, and thank you, Mike Merriman, and, uh, you know, I, I know it's difficult out there on the streets trying to deal with this. Well, if I can add, though, if I, one last point, uh, Libby... Um, whether it come from the province or it come from the municipality, somebody's got to get more paramedics out there for us. When you have, if there were 
you know, we had one month, I believe this past April, 400 opioid overdose overdose calls. I mean, if there were 400 house fires in the city or 400 police, or sorry, 400 shootings, they probably invest in more police or firefighters, and it's just not happening with us. Uh, with us, and we're, we we just can't keep up anymore. So okay. hopefully something's going to change. Okay, thank you very much to you both. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.